So glad to have each and every one of you worshiping the Lord here today with us. We're just excited about what God is doing here at New Life Worship Center. We're just glad to have you here and to be a part of it. Uh, Good to have Herman and the boys with us today. Amen. It's good to see their faces. Just good to have all of you. Just uh, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, presence of God that is just radiating in this house this morning. Expectancy level just, man, just feel like the roof has just kind of been raised here this morning. Uh, glory to God. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Presence of the Lord is just rich in this place. Don't you love him? Amen. I'm going to, uh, we're going to begin today uh, in Luke. I'm going to begin there in the second chapter of Luke. Gospel according to St. Luke. We're going to begin there at chapter 2. I want to read a couple of different portions of Scripture uh, out of uh, these, out of this chapter. Uh, We're going to read first verses 15 through 19. Read verses 15 through 19 in Luke chapter 2. And then we're going to skip on down and pick it up at uh, verse 45 and uh, read on through uh, 51. It just seems like that God is just, uh, I notice the way he's uh, moving on Michael and, and, and leading our worship and uh, some of the things that Holy Spirit is uh, saying through him and speaking through him uh, and exhorting uh, God's people and, and just some of the messages that uh, he's led over the past little while. Uh, of course, we know that uh, at Easter time and the week of the Passion, how God spoke to us last week about Barabbas and uh, how that he also had uh, spoken to us uh, about the resurrection, uh, about the meaning of uh, Easter and that resurrection morning on Easter Sunday. Uh, Sunday before that, Palm Sunday, we had Gabriel in from CF&I and how he spoke about uh, identity theft. I think the week before that, I had spoken on the uh, prodigal son, but it just seems like that God is really wanting us to get in our spirit of who we are uh, in him and uh, just our identity and uh, who he is. You know, once you understand who God is, who Christ is, then we can begin to uh, accept and to realize and to find our place and who we are in him. Uh, if we don't know who he is, we're probably not ever going to find our place of who we are in him. Uh, but it just seems like that God is just, just keeps on reiterating that, and he just seems to have us in that kind of season. And uh, I, I believe it's for the whole body, but I believe that it's also uh, specifically for uh, some, of, uh, some of our people individually, just on the level. I think God is just doing something rich here. And uh, sometimes we just need to be reminded uh, I don't know what it is about us, but uh, we as uh, humans, and that's just the way God made us, but uh, we, we forget so easily. Uh, you know, the first little trial that comes along, the first little dip in the road, uh, it seems like that, that we kind of begin to forget uh, the first test or something of who we really are and who God really is. Uh, fear tries to sneak in, take over, doubt or unbelief. Uh, intimidation, uh, just all sorts of things, you know. 
uh, just begin to attack us and uh, worry, anxiety, and, and, and things like that. Uh, so it's, it's real important uh, that we, on a continual basis, every morning that we wake up, that we realize, uh, and it wouldn't hurt us to just speak it, uh, who he is and who we are in him. Uh, but uh, we're going to jump into this. Okay, let's jump in here in Luke chapter 2. I'm uh, going to begin there at 15 through 19. Uh, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to read out of a few different versions this morning. I want to read uh, our particular uh, sermon text this morning out of the New Living Translation. I think we're going to probably have that on the screen this morning, so you can follow me there or on your uh, iPhone, iPad, uh, hard copy, whatever uh, you have with you this morning if you desire. When the angels had returned to heaven... Uh, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Uh, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby, Jesus, lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story was astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now, moving on down to verse 45 through 51, staying in the New Living Translation. When they couldn't find him, they being Joseph and Mary, him being Jesus, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search for me, he said. Didn't you know I must be about my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. I want to just kind of direct your attention to verse 15 and verse 51. Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. And then verse 51, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. I want us to look at and talk about beginning this morning just about heart. Uh, You know, the heart is kind of a a vault of protection. It's kind of a protecting vault. I, I kind of, you know, when I was putting this together this week, I kind of thought about Fort Knox. Uh, you know, Fort Knox is just heavy built, just heavy, heavy guarded, and uh, just, you know, it, it would just be pretty much an impossibility for somebody to get in there, get anything, and, and get back out alive. And this heart, this protecting vault, it just protects to the highest degree. And uh, I mean, to the point that there were there are things that are in there that the heart would absolutely be willing to die to keep before it would let go of it and understand that not just anything gets into that place 
you know, we, we, we guard our hearts. It's not just anything that gets in there. But what does get in there is not easily lost or forgotten. The heart is a place where we keep things that we value. Uh, it's things that we treasure. It's, it's precious stuff to us, stuff that we honor. It's uh, people like our spouses, uh, like our moms and our dad. Uh, it's like our children. It's family. It, it's best friends. My wife has a best friend, and uh, she holds that best friend dear to and into her heart. And uh, I don't know, probably over how many years? 28 years, that best friend has stayed there in her heart. Has there been rough times? Has there been pressures? Is Yeah, absolutely. But that protective vault of the heart has protected that relationship and it has refused to let go of it. And there's, you know, uh, Jesus is there in our heart. And hopefully, there's only one throne in your heart and hopefully Jesus has the throne of your heart. Hopefully he's number one there and, and he's the most precious thing. And, and Holy Spirit, you know, our, our bodies is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And these things that we have in our heart, you know, even dreams. Anybody in here a dreamer? Anybody got some dreams? Few? Yeah? Okay, I, how about some words, maybe some prophetic words that's been spoken over you? They're in your heart. Amen. And it may have been something that happened 10 years ago, or it may have been something that happened even 20 years ago. But that thing was precious to you. It meant something. And it's there in your heart, and you've held it there all these years. And and, and, you know, sometimes you don't talk out loud about it necessarily or, or, or talk to people, but you keep it in your heart and you ponder. You, you, you think about that. It's the stuff we ponder on. It's the stuff that we give our time to. It's the things and the people that we drench with our love. Now, as we see in our text today, and I believe that what we see here in our text are things that are still happening today. I think that there are still things that are being heralded concerning God. You know, the messenger of God, the angels came down and they began to make a declaration of what was fixing to happen, of who this was, who this child was that was fixing to be born, who he was and what he was going to do. And I still believe today that in Bible schools and in churches and in the workplace and in public schools, and in neighborhoods, and in grocery stores. I still believe that there are things that are being heralded, declarations being made of God, and his message, and his word. And then I believe that there are things that God is still doing. How many knows that God is still alive? How many knows that God is still working? 
Amen. So he's doing things and things are being heralded and things are being spoken. And it's these things that we need to grasp into our heart. That's what Mary did. When she heard the message of the shepherds, said she got it in her heart. When she saw what Jesus was doing in teaching and in speaking and what was going on and about his father's house and about his father's business, those kind of things was things that she, what he was doing and what was being said about him. She was gathering these things and the Bible says that she kept them in her heart. And not only kept them there, but she didn't forget about them. She pondered them. She thought about them. She drenched them with her love. She gave her time to them. And she gave her mind to them. Now, let's move to the wedding at Canaan where we find Mary again. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going to stay in the New Living Translation. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother, Mary, told him they have no more wine. He said, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied again to her, my time hasn't come. My time hasn't arrived. It's not here yet. Now, if that's the passage of Scripture that we're looking at, some would just get their theologians' kippa cap out. And they would say, let's take a look here at the culture that we're looking at. Let's see what history tells us about their culture and what all this means and everything and you know let's look at the greek now we we, we, you know sometimes we lose something here in this english translation let's go back to the greek and ponder on it and see what we can find out and then others yet others would use their contextual chart to define scripture here now let's not get carried away here let's keep all this in context and let's just really see what god's trying to tell us here now they gotta be careful We'll, we'll get off base here. But most would just use the flesh and its human understanding to ter- interpret these verses, these first four. You know, I think, that's a big problem right there. I think all these would have missed the miracle. Because they would have concluded in what Jesus had just said, he wasn't about to furnish any wine for this wedding. But John 2 and 5, John 2 and 5, but his mother, Mary, told the servants, whatever he says, do it. Do whatever he tells you to. Woman, that's not our problem. That's not our problem. My time hasn't come yet. And here's Mary, and she's saying to the servants, you know, after Jesus says that, she turns to the servants and says, whatever he says, just do it. Just do it. Mary was able to interpret what God said like she did 
because of what she had in her heart concerning Jesus. So she thus prolonged this chapter of life found here in John. I'm glad it didn't end there at verse 4. Because many of us today, oh, well, he's not going to provide any wedding for this. There's going to be a big embarrassment here today. I don't want to be around when that all begins to go down. Whatever he says, do it. Because of what she had in her heart of who he was, what was said about him, and what he had done. Because Luke 6 and 45 tells us, out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. So it was what she contained in her heart. See, Mary's heart concluded from what Jesus said was, I'm about to furnish this wedding with the best wine this world has ever tasted. That's what her heart told her. He said, woman, woman. That ain't our problem. My time hasn't come yet. Whatever he says, do it. It was what was in her heart. It was what her heart contained. And what she heard was, I'm about to furnish this get-together with the best-tasting wine that this world has ever, ever, ever experienced. That's what her heart told her mind. And so out of her heart, her mouth spoke. But it was what she had in her heart of what had been said about Jesus and what Jesus was doing. Now, let's go to Ephesians 6 and 14. We're going to go to the New International Version on this one. The breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6 and 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now here is Paul writing, and pretty much without any doubt, He was observing a Roman soldier here and how this Roman soldier was decked out with the helmet. And he compared that to the helmet of salvation with his girdle, uh, with that belt of protection around his midsection as truth and and his his armor on his shoes, the peace of God and, and the shield that he compared to our faith. And then he talked about the sword being the word of God, but he talks about this breastplate of righteousness. It was, it was a, a sheet of armor, metal, steel, you know, brass, uh, silver. Maybe if it was just a real richy uh, guy, it may have even been a gold, but it was a breastplate and, and it covered the back and they would slip it over and slip their arms up through it and even covered the side and it covered so it basically the breastplate it was protective of the heart it may have actually covered some other internal organs but its main purpose was to protect the heart and he said put on this breastplate of righteousness make sure you get it in place you see this protective wrap it guards the good stuff which we need to put into our heart so that we can move through life in God's perfect will. It's this breastplate of righteousness. You know, a lot of times we hear things, you know, in a sermon or, or we get a prophetic word or, or, or we have a, a, in our secret time, we have the whole Holy Spirit just speak to us something. Just give revelation of a certain scripture or something like that. Or, or we see some great miracle happen or something happen. 
And we wonder sometimes, why is it that we lose that so quickly and, and that we forget it? Or when, you know, a trial or a battle comes that we're not able uh, to take out of our heart something that we've heard, something that we've experienced, something that we've seen. And many times it's because of the righteousness is not in place in our life. To guard and to shelter what we're trying to deposit and keep in our heart. Without that, it just, we just lose it. Uh, because there's two things that this righteousness, I think, accomplishes here that, that we're seeing. And, and, and I know and I understand there's many things, but two things here are it keeps out what destroys within. It keeps out what destroys within. What, those things that would destroy what's in us, it keeps that out. But it also keeps in what gives life to that which is in. The word of God is like healing health to all of our flesh. It's that righteousness that keeps those kind of things that gives life in us. You see, until we know who Jesus is and who we are in him, we'll never be able to hold the truth in our heart to interpret kingdom life and to walk in the fullness of its power. If we don't ever get a grasp and a revelation and understanding of who Jesus is, of who God is, and who we are in him, we'll never be able to hold the truth in our heart to rightly divide, to rightly interpret kingdom life and to move in the power of its fullness. You see, Mary never forgot who Jesus was and she never forgot who she was in him. The angel Gabriel came and delivered this message to Mary in Luke chapter 1. This holy thing being born shall be called the Son of God. She never forgot that. It was in her heart. She kept it there. This holy thing being born shall be called the Son of God. And Gabriel says, Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed. I'm here to tell you this morning, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard it said from different people in different places in different ways? <clears throat> Mary never forgot that. She was one of those that took things and held them in her heart and she meditated upon them. And her heart guarded them in the righteousness of who Jesus was and who she was in that righteousness. When we forget or don't understand this righteousness, we can't hold on to the God stuff in our heart and adequately fulfill the purpose of victory and bring glory to God. Second Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 21. I want us to look uh, here in the Amplified Version. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, I have the Amplified Version. I love the way the Amplified <coughs> brings... Uh, the meaning of this verse of life in, in, in the English. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin. So that in and through him, we might become endued with 
viewed as being in and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness, by his mercy, by his grace. Let's look at that again. For our sake, look at your neighbor and say for your sake. He, God, made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin. So that in and through him, we might become, that is endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. That is what we ought to be, approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. You say amen? Now let's look at something here for a moment. Most don't ever have a problem about what God does concerning Jesus. But when it comes to what God does concerning us, that's when we seem to have a problem in believing and and being able to accept that. It said that Jesus had no sin. He knew no sin. God put sin, our sins, upon Jesus. And Jesus took it. Let me slip right underneath you here, Becky. Let me get a little prop here. Get somebody just to help me here for a minute. Jason, come here. Come here and help. Tyler, dad here. Get over here, Jason, if you would. Okay. You can be right here. Here's Jesus, perfect in every way. No sin, never knew sin, never had sin. Here's God. He takes sin, our sin, puts it on Jesus. Then he judges that sin through his death, through his crucifixion through his suffering. He had no sin. He knew no sin. But yet God took sin and put it on him, and then he judged that sin. Now, if God is able to take sin and put it on someone that had no sin, why can't he take righteousness and put it on someone that has no righteousness? We're talking in past tense because he already had. Because what he did was he took Jesus' righteousness and he put it, this is us. We have no righteousness. What we have is filthy rags. Sin. But, and we didn't know any righteousness. We didn't know how to get righteousness. But God, our heavenly father, took the righteousness of Christ and put it on him who had no righteousness, who knew no righteousness. Wow. Now, if he judged the sin that he put on his son Jesus, what is he going to do concerning the righteousness that he's put on us? 
He will honor it to the very highest, 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 highest degree possible. Thank you. Somebody praise him. See, that's the great exchange. It happens in covenant. That's what covenant partners would do. They would cut that animal in half and they would do that figure eight through it. They would cut their hands and mingle their blood together. But there was also an exchange of weapons. You know, what is mine is now yours and what's yours is now mine. God took our sin, gave it to Jesus, took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to us. And he's going to honor that righteousness. Now, let's close with putting on this garment of righteousness. Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verses 11 and 12. Stayed in the Amplified Version. Matthew 22, 11, and 12, Amplified. But when the king came to view the guest, he looked intently at a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you come in here without putting on the appropriate wedding garment? And he was speechless, muzzled, gagged. He he didn't have an answer. And and here's why. This text here asserts that the fine white linen, alluding to the marriage garment, was an emblem of the righteousness of the saints. And, you, and, and to provide accidental guests clothing suitable to, for a marriage feast in those days, that was custom for Greeks that they would provide. You see, the garment worn on festival occasions were chiefly long white robes. And it was custom of the person who made the feast to prepare robes to be worn by the guest. So this is why it renders the conduct of this man so inexcusable. He came in his common ordinary dress as he was taken from the highway, just taken off the street. And though he did not have a garment of his own suitable for this occasion, one had been provided for him. He neither put it on or he neither applied for one. So his not doing it was an expression of the highest degree of insult and disrespect to the king. It is by our faith that we accept and receive this righteousness. It's a gift. It is by us believing You see, the righteousness and even the faith have been furnished. God has given every man a measure of faith. Jesus Christ went to Calvary and died, gave his life, shed his blood, that we might have this righteousness. The righteousness has been furnished. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to read the Bible through before you're eligible for righteousness. And you don't have to read it through after that to keep the righteousness. (laughs) 
And the faith, the measure of faith has been given to you. And we put this righteousness on as we believe and trust in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And it is this that's going to keep the things that we are here. When we know who he is and who we are in him. And quit letting the devil beat us up, kick us around, condemn us, judge us, and throw that guilt junk on us. You haven't gotten your glorified body yet. So you're going to make mistakes. Just accept it and get used to it. God's still working on you. I remember my little baby girl used to sing a song, He's Still Working On Me. Took him just a week to make the moon and the sun, stars, Jupiter, Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. He's still working on us. And according to God's word, which can't lie, he's going to continue that work right up till Jesus comes back. So you're not a finished product yet, and you're not going to be until... But in God's eyes, (laughs) and in his mind, all he sees is the righteousness of his son when he looks at you. But the devil's trying to get you to focus on everything bad and everything wrong, all your mistakes. Quit doing that because you're losing the things that Jesus is saying to you and things that he is doing that he's put in your heart. And you need that to be victorious. And to glorify God and to fulfill his purpose. You are the righteousness of God through and in and by Christ Jesus. So keep those things in your heart by putting on and keeping on through faith, through trust in God. That breastplate of righteousness. So that you will be able to interpret correctly kingdom life. And walk in the fullness of its power. Give God praise for his word this morning. Glory to God. I think God is just. Is just. Releasing an outpouring of his love. I. You know. He just loves us so much. Wow. During this praise and worship this morning, he got so rich and so real with us. I mean, he... You know, I've seen my kids beat down before. I've seen them in despair. It hurts my heart. What's God looking at this morning? He's looking at his babies. He's looking at his babies in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He don't want to see them hurting. I've seen this child being crying and stuff. And man, it just hurts my heart. My heart begins to ache. 
And that's the way it is with God. God doesn't want us. He doesn't want us in despair and hurting. He doesn't want us, oh, it's Sunday. I can just get in here and get Michael to sing my favorite song. I think I'm going to be all right. Michael, I hope this on the list this morning. God, it hurts his heart to see us like that. And, and why are we, because the devil has been attacking us and we haven't had on the breastplate of righteousness to keep what God says we are in our hearts. We're, it's, it's losing out because, God, are you, was that really you that spoke this morning? Was, God, are you, you really the son of God? Am I, am I really righteous? I mean, immediately the devil comes and tries to get that word. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to have that. But God is tired of his people living in despair and and being beat up and cast down. He wants the best for us. And it is in our best that we're going to most effectively advance his kingdom and bring glory to him. And isn't that what it's all about? Carson Cates is with us this morning. Can you believe that? Can you make this little man feel welcome? This is only his second visit here. We would have showed him off and introduced him last week if his daddy would have been here. But we didn't want his daddy to miss this time to just kind of swell up and Isn't Carson just adorable? Can can you just kind of just interpret yourself in God's arms this morning? And he's just looking down on you as his little baby. Man, these parents, this earthly father wants to... If this earthly father wants the best for Carson, how much more does Abba Father want the best... For you and me this morning. Glory to God. Quit letting people paint a picture of a God with a lightning bolt sitting on a throne waiting to judge you and strike you down when you do something wrong. I remember watching a movie one time. A guy said something about a God. Then another guy said something about his God. And the guy said, "Mm, your God scares me. God loves us this morning. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Don't you love him? Can you just give him praise in this house? When Gabriel finished up speaking to Mary and he was leaving, she said this to him. She said, let it be unto me according to thy word. Let it be unto everyone in this house and God's church abroad according to his word. Amen. Glory to God. Can you stand this morning? We're just going to be dismissed in prayer. Father, 
Oh God, I thank you for all your sons and daughters that is in this house this morning. God, I thank you for your love endures forever. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that endures forever. I thank you for your patience. Oh God, how loving and patient you are. (laughs) You never give up on us. Though God, you have been so real in this house. You have been so transparent with us and we're so thankful, God, for you. We believe that you are Jesus Christ, that you are God's Son. We believe that you were born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that you died and hung on Calvary and on the third day arose. And we believe that you're coming back for us. And we believe that when you left this earth, you sent Holy Spirit to be right there with us. And he is here. He is in us. And we believe that we are the righteous ones of God through and in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, God, the words that you have spoken over our lives in times past, the words that you have spoken in this house today, renew, refresh, restore, and revive them to the fullness of their content in our lives. Lord, all the wonderful and beautiful and glorious things that we have seen of God in our lifetime and heard of God, may, Lord Jesus, they come alive in our hearts today. And may we, Lord, put on this armor, this breastplate of righteousness, holding these things as precious, as valuable, as wonderful, as good. May we ponder and meditate upon them. And may they guide us and lead us into effectively and rightly discerning and interpreting kingdom life in every area of it and that we walk in the fullness of the power of God's kingdom Lord let us be the light and the salt of this world Help us as we leave this place to be kingdom minded, to have the mind of Christ working and operating. That we might make an impact on this generation which we live. To advance your kingdom one soul at a time through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that the lost and the hurting and the dying might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And put this garment of righteousness that you have so richly clothed us with. May you, O God, do far abundantly, exceedingly more than anything I could ever ask or imagine. May you fulfill your perfect will and may your will be done in our lives, in your church, here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I lift every teenager, every young adult, every middle age, and every senior up before you and I put them in your hands today and I pray that you bless them with your fullness. Guide and direct every step that they take, every thought that they think, every word that they speak. Every action that they make. Bless them. In Jesus name. And the people of the Lord say.
Amen. Share the love of God with one another that's in this place. I love you. God bless you. Once again, thank you for being here today. You're dismissed.